And I went on stage and it was amazing. Like, I'm not talking the audience, my feeling. I was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. Immediately knew I was going to do that as a career. Hello and welcome to the No Name NYC podcast. My name is Eric Vetter. Hello, how are you? It's good to see you. Thank you for being here. Man, it's nice to have you in the place. So yes, this is the No Name NYC podcast. I'm the host and I am also the founder of No Name and a Bag of Chips, New York City's longest running comedy variety show, which begat this podcast. Uh, the voice you heard up front was comic Carmen Lynch. She's a super funny person and super nice person. I really... I find her path to where she is right now uh, to be an interesting one. I enjoyed talking with her. So we'll get to that in a little bit. It's good to be back in New York. I just came back from a mini vacation with friends and family in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Forgive me, I don't mean to brag. But we had a great time there. It was interesting because along the way now, you know, I'm blind and I need assistance getting around. But I can walk. I can walk. I can run. I just can't see where I'm going. And my, my travel buddy for getting there, my, my good friend Jerry Craft, author and artist of the graphic novel New Kid and its subsequent sequels, he was traveling with me. And, you know, we get to the airport. He said, look, would you mind, would you be uncomfortable being pushed through in a wheelchair? Because the airlines provide a service where they'll take an, a, a wheelchair and take you to wherever you need to go. Now, I didn't love the idea of doing this, but I thought this guy's got his luggage and, and you know, it, trying to guide the blind guy through a very crowded and bustling airport. You know, I wanted to do the nice thing, so I didn't love it. But I said, sure, man, it'd be easier for you. Let's do it like that. So we did it like that. And when we touched down in Milwaukee, this short blonde, okay, I know she was short because her voice came from far below my head. I know she's blonde because <laughs> Jerry said she was a blonde. A wonderfully interesting woman, very vivacious, very energetic, very personable, and chatty woman named Izzy. Izzy described herself as being kind of a badass. She she said she'd been playing soccer for 17 years since she also indicated she was 21. She's deep in. I will tell you this, she may have been short, she may have been petite, but the way she drove that wheelchair, you don't want to fuck with Izzy. So we were having a great conversation. As she She's directing us to the rental car spot. You know, she keeps saying, oh, you guys are so funny. And we kept saying, oh, you're so funny. And it was great. And she's telling us about her life in Milwaukee. At one point, Jerry looks at his phone and says, well, they sent me four selections for possible cars for the rental car. Two of them were Kia's. And he says, so Izzy, what do you think? Or, what, what should I rent out? And she says, don't get the keys. Now, Izzy has sounded like the sort you don't want to fuck with. But she seemed genuinely shaken. And why should we not get the keys, Izzy? The Kia boys will have it in 20 minutes. The Kia boys? Jerry and I inquired about this. Apparently, this is a gang with a reputation in Milwaukee. Their thing is they only steal kids. And apparently the reason they do that is they found it was the easiest car to boost. Uh, Jerry and I grew up in a, a rough part of Washington Heights back in the day during the crack wars, the 80s and such. And we were just trying to imagine a gang that called themselves the Kia Boys and what kind of a conversation they might have. They came uptown in the days when we grew up, people talking about, yo, who you roll with? I rode the blood, son. 
you know, whatever the conversation would be. You got the Bloods, Crips, whatever. Latin Kings, definitely. So who you roll with? The Kia Boys. Kia Boys, that doesn't sound like a gang name. That sounds like a lower tier 90s boy band. Like really at the bottom of the list. Like below 98 Degrees, below O-Town. Like at the very bottom of the list. The Kia Boys. You can't call yourself the Kia Boys, even if you put the S as a Z. You can't call yourself the Kia Boys and expect to get any kind of respect. I just envision that conversation happening and the Bloods and the Crips and the Latin Kings and everybody else coming together and bonding to take the Kia Boys lunch money. After the fact, I kept wondering, like, is this the only thing they do? You know, do you deal with drugs? Do you sell weed? Do you sell, you know, fentanyl? I just imagined it's like, nah, man, we, we saw a need in the community and we chose to serve it. So we were having a lot of fun about the name of the Kia Boys. As we're going through the airport, she sees a colleague at a distance and shouts out, you know about the Kia Boys, don't you? I said, oh, God, yes, yes, the Kia Boys. Maybe I'm going to get some sort of reprisals from having spoken out about this, but it's just, I just don't feel intimidated by the Kia boys. My basic feeling on that is just try that in a big town. We made it through the airport. We did not rent a Kia, and our, our car was not fucked with, and we had a great time with friends and family, and, and now back in New York and excited to be back in New York and excited for our conversation with Carmen Lynch. And we'll get to that in just a second. But first, a word from our sponsor. You know what that means. Get away to Green Bay. That's right. The historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a bed and breakfast before, but the breakfast in a lot of these places tends to be like a mini box of cereal or uh, some questionable fruit, things of that nature, a piece of toast maybe with some butter. But not at the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast. Your innkeeper, Tom and Linda Steber, will provide you with a delicious, absolutely world-class breakfast every single morning. They will also make you feel welcome in any one of their five luxury accommodations, all of which have a private bath and some of which have their own jacuzzi. If you want to know what's going on around town, Tom and Linda will let you know about any special events, and they'll also make recommendations for you to any of the wonderful restaurants in town. So you can't beat it. Go. Go now. Go. Get away to Green Bay. For more information or for reservations, go to www.astorhouse.com. That's A-S-T-O-R-H-O-U-S-E.com. Get away to Green Bay. How long you been in Astoria? A lot of people here too. Yeah. Um, I've been here like six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe and like it, seven. It, yeah. Up and up until that time, you were uh, roommates with Liz, right? Um, I've lived in Brooklyn with Liz. I've lived on my own in New Jersey. I lived in Manhattan for a while and I've lived here. So oh, I pretty okay. much, I'm just missing like the Bronx and Staten Island. 
Well, it, you know, it, depending on where in the they Bronx you can I do miss that. Them so much. Staten Island, don't don't, no. don't worry I, about I it. I honestly, out of all of them, Astoria has been my favorite. So I think if I if I leave, I'll leave the state. Like I, <laughs> I'll be here until I leave New York. I hear you. I hear you. Where where were you in Manhattan? Twenty second between second and third. It was my first move from Virginia, and I came up with a friend. Actually, we weren't even friends. We were friends with a mutual friend. My friend was like, oh, I have a friend who's moving to New York. You guys should live together. It's so expensive. And we like it worked out like we quickly became best friends. Oh, nice. Like sometimes like Could that could go either wrong. way. Yeah. And so we stayed there for two years until it was just too small. Mm-hmm. Like because it was a studio. It was a studio with like a living. So it was a one bedroom. Actually, it was a one bedroom. But she was a graveyard shift nurse. And I wasn't in stand-up yet. Like, I hadn't even discovered stand-up. Like, that happened by accident. So I was just in New York for acting. So I had a day job. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it was perfect because, like, whenever she wasn't there, you know, it almost like we lived alone, but we did see each other on weekends to, like, kind party. of see each other changing shifts. Yeah. yeah. Morning, Ralph. Morning, Sam. You know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. And then when, it, like, the weekend hit, then when at least we got to hang. So so I, I knew you weren't in a native New York. Oh, I was pretty sure you weren't a native New Yorker. But you're originally from Virginia? Virginia, yeah. I'm entrenched there for a for like family. Long, yeah, I mean, my dad was in the military. And then before that, I mean, I moved to America when I was eight. So from eight until my move to New York, I was in Virginia. Yeah. So I'm a true Virginian. Except for <laughs> the right. accent. Well, you see good safe with me. I won't yeah, tell. please don't tell anybody. Um, but so you, so you, you artistically speaking, you, you were gearing towards acting? Yes, I loved acting. I was in plays in high school. I never watched stand-up. I never really knew what it was. I didn't know it was a, a job p- position. Like, I, <laughs> I was not, like... It's not. It's <laughs> not. I was like, oh, you know, I remember living on 22nd Street and my friend, another, not my roommate, but my one of my friends was like, let's go see a comedy show. And I, I didn't even know what that really meant, like a stand-up <laughs> show. And I, if people always ask me back then, who did you see? I have no idea because I wasn't a fan. I didn't know anybody. I just know that we walked there. So it had to have been New York Comedy Club because we were on. Uh, yeah, I was going to say in that. Neck but of the I, wood. I don't know. I remember loving it. And I have no idea who it was, <laughs> like who was on the show or anything. And I, I'd be so curious to know because it was it was just so long ago. No, I, I, I totally understand. I, um, but so so it was like in high school, you got the acting bug. Yeah, in high school, some of my friends were like, let's try out for a play. And then I would either get an extra or I'd get the understudy of the lead. Like it, it was a wide range. Mm. And I'm like, the lead is not going to get sick. Like I, <laughs> I might as well just be the extra. But but then I just, it fizzled. I just didn't care anymore because I went to college and I had to study. So I just What, what were you studying in college? Uh, I was pre-med for a semester and then I was like, this is ridiculously hard. I can't, I went to William and Mary, which is pretty, a pretty hard school, which I, looking back, I wish I hadn't cause I would have just enjoyed my life more if I didn't have to study so hard. Cause some right. people are just really smart and other people have to study a lot. And I was the studier per- and I was like, I shouldn't have had to study that like that. I shouldn't have gotten in to be honest. <laughs> I think, Understood. I think they messed up. And, um, so then I graduated and, and then that bug came back. I was like, what am I going to do? And I was like, I should move to New York because uh, I was interested in finance, but I also was interested in acting. And then 
I thought, well, what has both? New York City. <laughs> All right, that that, that makes sense. Here that I makes am. sense. <laughs> so, so basically, the the interest in being in New York was a practical thing, not not one of these. I've got to get to New York things. Well, no, it was I've got to get to New York to pursue acting, but I'll get a finance job to pay the rent. Got it. Got it. Kind and is that what happened? Yeah, I worked. At a lot of financial institutions, not as like a broker or anything, but mm. like an assistant to some big person. And I worked at Merrill Lynch. I worked at Goldman Sachs. Oh, wow. I worked at a couple of places. And then through maybe it took like another four or five years before I even discovered stand like going to that club and doing stand up. So uh, how do you find the acting pursuit here? I mean, it was very I didn't have anything to compare it to. So I was I was fascinated by. I mean, this is going to sound like I'm 80, but it was so different without cell phones. Like you had to open the, do you remember Backstage Magazine? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you had to find auditions in this newspaper and it came out, they came out every Thursday. Yeah. So every actor in New York would get up early on Thursdays. Could you want to be the first one to call the services or whatever? Yeah, or mail your headshot. It's so, it's such an old, it sounds so old, but you would have your head. I remember having my headshots on in one stack having my resumes in the other and then depending on what the role was you know like if it was a play i had all my theater and all my theater was like high school bullshit <laughs> yeah right 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 and then i would staple that to my headshot and i would mail <laughs> it and i'd get calls but it you know and auditions and stuff but it was like then you had to get a call back and it was just so slow yeah i was like what yeah. am i doing this is taking forever and then when i discovered stand up i was like oh i can get up every night i don't have to wait for Joe Schmo to call me to, to get a callback for something where I'm eight feet tall and the guy is like five feet tall. They're not going to cast me. Yeah. So yeah, and I started, also, yeah. I, I, I would think that I don't know what your positions were, but uh, with a finance type job, it's not particularly conducive to auditions and callbacks, I would imagine. No, but I found a way like, you know, I'd go on my lunch break or I'd say at a doctor's appointment or... Yeah, it's it wasn't that part wasn't too hard. Oh, okay, cool. And then stand up became easier because that was all at night. So right, so, so you that, just had to give up sleep. I just had to give up sleep. Yeah, which it worked out when you're in your twenties or whatever. It's like easy. Even in your you know thirties, you're like okay. It's I mean you can you can give up sleep so much easier. Uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? Because it's like well, you know the adrenaline's gonna carry me. Yeah, or coffee, and then. And and it's just, it's such a time suck, like all that time waiting, you're in a room and you're so nervous because you think like, if you don't have the right shoes, you're not going to get the part and they're not even looking at your shoes, but you're, you're like, oh my <laughs> but God. But you feel they are. But you feel they are. Yeah. Wait, it, let me ask you this, since you made a reference to, to the height thing, did you find that that was a factor uh, one totally. way or another? In, in Absolutely. Audition? Yeah. Like most of the stuff that I would get a call back for would be like a scenario with you know with you and maybe this romantic partner and most of the time they weren't six feet tall so I was like you're not gonna count it wasn't like now where everything's like diversity be different it was like classic guy is taller or the same right you know that kind of thing and then I I always journaled so I would I would like journal do my morning pages you know like just actory stuff where you like vent and like right you know and so I would I would write in my journal that uh I was like I'm so pissed that lot that role was perfect but 
this guy was five, seven, I'm never going to, you know, and then that was all that stuff was what I started to use on stage for stand up. Nice. So it became like yeah. this kind of perfect, like, oh, I have material. Like, it's just me yelling about being tall, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and that was like the beginning of my set. So how did you first uh, start dipping your toe into the stand up waters after after your first experience with it? I there was another oh my god there was another magazine on the streets. Do you remember the Learning Annex? Oh, good lord, yes. Yeah, and it was on the street. And there was every corner. It was in New every York. corner. They they had these magazine stands. The Learning Annex was I think it was smaller, right? It was like a little small pamphlet. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it was it was just classes. It was. And it a was ton I think of, the first the, they're the first thing I I, I remember being like on all the street corners, like before yeah. there were all the free newspapers and yes, stuff like that. Yes, it was like, like the only newspaper on the street or something. But it had all these, if you wanted to do anything, it was in there. Like yeah. I want to learn how to do ceramic. It'd be pottery. It would be in there. So I remember flipping through that because I, I was a lost soul for a long time. Like after pre-med, I, I majored in psych. I wanted to be a um, psychiatrist. Then I was like, no way, because I had to do an internship with this psycho and I was like, I don't want to live my life like this. And then I applied for the FBI and that didn't work. And then I moved to New York to pursue acting. So I was like searching and searching. So, um, so then I looked in this learning annex and I'm like, there has to be a class in here for me to like enjoy myself because mm -hmm. I'm not finding anything and acting is so frustrating. So I, I went to the, that show and I saw they had... Because I, when I first saw stand-up at that first show, I thought those people on stage were like that all day. Like, they were just funny all day. And they just uh. woke up. You know how models are just beautiful? You, they, I'm sure they just get up and they're like, oh, I look like shit. And you're like, no, you don't. You're gorgeous. Like, that's what I thought of comedians. Like, I thought they would just get up and, like, crack jokes and leave. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It, like they, this is how they talk like all the time, except all the now time. they have a mic. Right. So I was like, that's not fair. Like, why do they get this gift? You know, and then eventually someone's like, no, they write jokes. I mean, most of most of them do. They write jokes and then they tell them. And I was like, well, I write all the time. I write my journal. Maybe I can learn how to write a joke. So then in the learning annex, it said joke writing class. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm in. So then I took. Uh, Who taught it? Oh, God. It was a guy who was offering a three-day course, and the third day was a performance. Okay. And at this point, I still didn't think I was going to go on stage because I was like, I maybe, I to me, it was worse to find out you weren't funny. I'm like, mm. I don't want to find out I'm not funny. Uh, I'd rather just write jokes for someone. So I was like, let me take this class. I'm going to be a joke writer for a comedian. I didn't even know if that was a thing, but I was like, I don't want to go on stage because if I if I go up there and they don't laugh, it I'm I'm going to be really hurt. So I I took the class. I talked to the teacher, Tim. It was his name. I'll think of his last name. And and I was like, I he doesn't live here. He he never. I don't think he ever lived here. I go. I want to take this class, but I just want to let you know that third class where you're offering it was at Stand Up New York. I go. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to go and support the class, but, but I'm not going to go on stage. I just want to learn how to write a joke. And, um, and he's like, you'll want, you'll want to go on stage. And I'm like, no, I won't. I won't just, I'm going to pay full price, but I'm just letting right. you know, don't count on me for the thing. And, mm -hmm. and so then I took the class and, uh, do you remember Michael Brill? 
Yeah. I remember, I, I didn't know him personally, but I know the but name. But you know who he is. Yeah. He was in that class, and we became, like, BFFs. I mean, forever the open mic. Me and Michael Brill were just side by side. But we met at that class, and... Uh, well, it's huge to have that person you're comfortable hitting the mics with. Because it feels like a less lonely yeah. experience, you know? So he and I, we did open mics, and we did this class. And then by this third class, it, I remember it was a Sunday at Stand Up New York, at 6 p.m., I went to the show mm-hmm. to support my classmates. And for some reason, I wrote down, we each got five minutes, and I wrote down three the three jokes that worked in my class. Right. But that was, it was not five minutes. That, that, that would have been like two minutes. Right. But I wrote it down anyway, just, I don't know. I just, and I, I, looking back, I'm like, I wonder if I just thought maybe I'd go up and I just wrote it down anyway. But I remember being in the class, I didn't tell anyone. That everybody brought their friends and family. Didn't tell a soul. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I remember I got a tap on the shoulder in the middle of the show. And I turn around and it was the teacher. It was Tim, whatever his name is. So he tapped me on the shoulder and he's like, you're next. And I never said no. It was weird. It's almost like I needed that push. And I right. went on stage and it was amazing. Like, I'm not talking the audience, my feeling. I was like, oh my God. This is so much fun. Immediately knew I was going to do that as a career. Oh, like nice. in two minutes. And I, I got off stage. Fast, I did huh? those two minutes and I was like, that's all I have. It was, I think I just needed to know if that was what I was going to do. But I was scared for years. Like, I, oh, like new jokes. And I was so, it was weird looking back. Like, I think my desire to do it was greater than my fear. But my fear was huge. Got I would it. walk up and down the halls of the comic strip when Lucian passed me. Mm-hmm. And I remember like Veronica, Mosey, all these comics were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm so nervous. Like that didn't go away for me for years. Yeah. You know, and that's why it's so funny. Like after shows, if you do like, especially if you, when you headline and you do an hour and people come up to you after the show, if you're selling merch or whatever, and they're like, oh my God, um, I loved your set. I would do this, but I'm so scared. And I'm like, yeah. I was scared. Like, you just have to do it. Like, it's not like you're not scared, you know? But I was just this kind of, I was a very, very shy person. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, when I see people from high school and they're like, what? You do comedy? Like, it's kind of weird because they know me as that. They didn't see that coming. They didn't see that coming. Yeah. So it kind of broke me open in a really good way. Like, more than just, I love doing it. I think it just kind of shattered this wall of like fear of speaking and stuff, which is good. Yeah, I get that. And I'm interested though too because uh, like, if you came here with the idea of, of of doing the acting thing, you didn't have that same anxiety with acting. No, I think it was someone else's lines, or I don't know. It must have been that, but no, I loved. I, I, and I still love acting, but it's just, there's, there's a consistency to, there's a control to being like, I can go to an open mic every night. I can go to the duplex every night. I can go to hamburger Harry's every night. <laughs> I can go to Eric Vetter's show. Like, you know, there's a, like, there's a c- control where I'm like, I'm in, I'm in control versus like, when is this, you know, director going to call me or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you know I, it's funny. I, for, for me, it was one reason I never could get comfortable with, with uh, stand-up for, for myself. Like, two things. One is that when I actually... I started out with acting and did theater in college, and what I really enjoyed the most 
what's the interaction with other folks? And then, the you know, it took me a while to realize that also part of what fucked with me is, is the, you know, if the play sucks and... I've been in plays that sucked. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. you walk away and you're like, ah, they didn't like the play. They didn't like, the, you know, even, even if you're doing a character that doesn't even resemble you on yeah. stage as a stand-up, you still walk away, ah, they didn't like me. It becomes personal in a way yeah. that the other did not. And I, I just never really got comfortable with that. And then I eventually was like, well, that wasn't what you set out to do anyway. You wouldn't be an actor. But, um, but, but yeah, but I'm always interested in, in you know, some people who feel... Some people, just the control of doing stand-up is enough to give them more relaxation than they have in in acting. And I'm always curious to see how different minds wrap around that whole aspect. Like, you yeah, know? not even relaxation for me, but motivation. Like, I was more motivated to do stand-up than UCB was already, not, it was already a big thing, but it was still growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to do that because then I have to like meet, I mean, the classes I did, but joining an improv group was like, now I have to wait for four other people to be on time. Like, it just didn't turn me on. I I, I can tell you, I I can tell you, I enjoyed doing sketch with other people. I did not enjoy running a sketch group. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) For exactly what you're talking about. Like, you know, I just want to go out there and work. I don't want yeah. to have to keep track of everybody, you know. But uh, so, but not, so uh, sometimes what I'm really interested, especially for people who move to New York, is that you know the whole thing of of how do you finance being here while you're pursuing this? But it sounds like you had a, a good base with your your day job, right? Yeah, I I mean I it was drilled into my head to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. like. My parents were like, no credit debt, which I had a ton of, you know, because who doesn't move to New York? And it's like, I want those shoes for $80. And it's like, you can't afford those shoes, you know? But yeah, like, so it was always, oh, and the other thing was it was very difficult for my parents to accept. They're very traditional. So it was very hard for them to accept stand-up. So I didn't want to ever put myself in a position where I'm like, can I borrow $200? Right. And they'd be like, told ya, you know? So yeah, I was like, yeah, if yeah. I'm going to do this, I'm going to finance myself. So then I, I never asked, like, I just, I said, you know what, I'll just keep my job and be tired. And then one day I'll, you know, just do stand up. but it took, you know, it takes a while. So how, how do you get to that point? You, I mean, for me, it was last comic standing. I got, um, you know, more gigs. I didn't have to flyer like I, um, and then I did Letterman and I got an agent. Like it, it, there's no how to it's, it's timing. You got the, the agent after Letterman? I got the agent right before Letterman, but then he didn't really send me out because uh, they they need like a, a reason to to sell you. If, sure, you know, sure, to, sure. Like hold the carrot. Like, look, she did Letterman. Look, like if if you don't have that, they, what credits? It's the credits thing. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work that way now, but that's what it was like. You, you know. Well, that that's why I was also curious yeah. about that too, because when you first uh, broke on Letterman, uh, you know that was. I guess it was during a maybe a decade or so where that whole game was changing because when I was a kid, you know, of course, Carson was still there and that was a big thing. You get on The Tonight Show and bam, you're, you're a made person, yeah. you know, and that had changed. But I, I don't know how it was for you. It seemed to me that like Letterman was the last one, maybe Conan to, to a different degree, um, where it was like... It was still a stamp that, like you say, was something that they could hold out there as, as a selling point. As did, a selling did that? Point, yeah. Did that 
change stuff for you in terms oh, yeah, of getting bookings gigs, on the road? For sure. I mean, that's that's what that's what you want. That's what they needed to, uh, you know, to know. They just want a credit, like a good credit. Yeah, so they, so they can put on the advertising as seen on I'm late night with yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, well, let me ask you about that because uh, it, that I remember when you were working out in prep for that first appearance. Yeah. And you know we were all like cheering and you know very excited. I mean that, that you know that you got in there while you could still uh, make some appearances with Letterman. I mean, how, how, what was that experience like? I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was, uh, he was the one I, I watched the most. So that was the one I would want anyway, you know, as an, as a New Yorker in quotes, cause I am not really from there, but you know, living here, I was like, uh, yeah, he had this dry sense of humor. Yeah. I would imagine he would like your style. I mean, I know, I know it, it's somebody else doing the booking and stuff, but I yeah. would imagine he, you were someone he probably enjoyed watching. Yeah, and then he said that night he, um, he said, you know, please come back, and then I went back like two years later. So, and then I think I the year after it was over. The yeah, show was over, I mean so. that's the thing—you got in it just in time, yeah. you know. And yeah, I, I I know what you mean. He was, you know, even though I was a kid when when Carson was an institution. I was in college when Letterman first, well, when he really, when the late night thing happened and you, you know, talk about who was you, he was my guy. Yeah. You know, if yeah, I had yeah. gone down that path, that would have been the one, I mean, I would have loved to have gotten on Carson, but that was really borderline before my time. You know, yeah. I was, um, but that would have been the goal. I would have been like, I can retire. Yeah. Cause I mean, at that point it was Letterman, Leno and I don't know. I guess Arsenio? Ferguson. No, I think it was just Conan was there, but yeah. Yeah, because Letterman was on CBS by that point. So yeah, Conan yeah. was pretty established by that Conan point. Conan was on TBS. Or no, oh, no, right. no, so, he yeah. wasn't. He was on after, uh, he was on it later, right? Yeah, he, he was, uh, well. At it, 12.30, I think. After. Yeah, yeah. He, he wait, when, when Letterman left, he took over for Letterman. Yeah. Because it took him a while to establish himself. Right, right. You know, everyone was like, this guy's going to fail. And like, the first few years of his show, he kept getting renewed, like, practically on a week basis. You know, it's like, all right, we'll give you another week. I loved, I thought he was so funny. Like, I was so happy to do his show. He, I think he's hilarious. Yeah, did, did you get him uh, on NBC or TBS? I got him, oh my God, I should know. I, what year was that? When did he move over? Why can't I, I remember? I forget. I forget. I don't remember, to be honest. No, he was, it was after the whole Leno thing. I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I guess it was TBS. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's where he went, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that must have been real exciting. Wait, that that was, uh, was that taping in LA? That was in LA, yeah. Have you got, I was trying to remember, you've done The Tonight Show? And I did The Tonight Show, yeah, with and Fallon. Fallon, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was fairly recent, right? I mean, last year or so? That was the month before COVID. That was 20. Oh, okay. Wait. So, yeah, right, it was right. Jan end of January 2020. So, things were still oh, so open. You, yeah, but, like, before. I remember a month later, I was I remember I was working at a playground in Queens because, you know, we had to only have outdoor shows by then. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah, like, yeah. I can't believe I just did The Tonight Show and I'm in a playground <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah it was funny and it you know those outdoor shows were really fun i had a great time 
I love that we could finally wear shorts to work. Like I never wear shorts at a comedy club, but it was like everyone was wearing shorts, mm. just like looking just kind of crappy biking to, to shows. And I'm like, this is refreshing. <laughs> I, I understand that. I understand that. Well, it was also kind of like, oh, it's just like a, a house party outdoors yeah. In, in, yeah. in some of those shows, you know? Yeah. And I think we were just so happy to have any kind of interaction, even if we were yelling across the parking lot, you know? Yeah. But uh, so so uh, talk about how, how the Letterman appearance changed your, your life. I mean, with that when you really started digging in on the touring? Yeah, I mean, it, it just, um, you know, you, you start off with an agent at like a certain level and then just as as with everything i think it's human nature you just want more you know so you're so then you start picking up other late nights or other work and you know just working on other jokes and then hoping you know to get more it's there's really i don't think there's really a path i think it really just depends on how much you're working and luck is a lot too i mean as we know there's people out there who may not deserve their fame and others who are you're like god you're so good why aren't you bigger yeah yeah there, you know? there's so many factors involved yeah. you know um but but you know i i'm part of, part of the reason i'm asking because you know there was a time when there was at least in in theory there was a particular pattern or a path that people take you know you do this you work the clubs you get that spot on on the tonight show or letterman or whatever and you do that and then you you know branch out and you know usually there was a sitcom involved and so and that whole landscape has changed it's now gone, yeah so what what do you want to do that you have not yet done do you have any particular goals or are you just playing it as you go along um, I think I used to play it more as I went along and now, now I just taped two specials. So now I'm just wait. I have to watch them cause I just got the first edit. So I need to watch them and that's driving me insane cause I don't want to watch them. I hate watching myself. Um, mm, yeah, so that's what, I just got the one in English cause I just taped the one in Spanish in Spain in July. So now I have to watch the English. The, the good thing is that they're kind of both distracting me from the other one. So <laughs> So now I'm like, oh, the Spanish one, I'm done, finally. Like, I hope I said that word right. But now I'm, like, not thinking about it because I have to edit. I have to watch the first edit of the English one. And hopefully they'll both come out this fall. So Okay. Wait, wait, I'm interested in this. a couple of things. First of all, uh, when did you start doing – you didn't – when you first started doing stand-up, you weren't doing it in Spanish, right? No. It wasn't when even did that a happen? big thing. Like, I would say maybe – God, 10 years ago, eight or 10 years ago, I was in Spain with my family because my sister lives there. And I don't know if I started seeing like signs for open mics or something, but it, it wasn't a big thing. Like I would go to open mics and see the same people pretty much at every open mic. And I was so nervous because I, I just was, I, it's one thing to speak a language, but then to be funny in that language, I was like, God, I'm going to make a complete fool out of myself. And, but then I was like, I'm leaving for America in a week. So who cares? <laughs> I'm like, I shouldn't care. Doesn't matter. However yeah. it happened, you're going to be out of town. Yeah, I'll be gone. So let me just do it. And then I'll never see these people again. Did, and, you, did you speak Spanish around the house growing up? Yeah, oh yeah. My mother's from Spain. So mm-hmm. we spoke it all the time. I, to this day, I only speak to her in Spanish and uh, yeah, I speak it all the time with her. But I mean, whether you want to or not, languages suffer if you don't speak it 
literally all the time. But that's why like, I asked. Yeah. That's why people are like, Oh, I took four years in high school and I don't remember anything. Well, you don't practice like, and even what I practice, it's not anything compared to like, say my sister who lives there, her Spanish is insane. And, but her English, she says things. I'm like, I laugh at her. I'm like, we don't say it like that. Where did you get that? Like, and then like words will come out like British and I'm like, okay, your English sucks, you know, <laughs> but my Spanish kind of sucks. But then it took me a while to realize, um, that my kind of good fluency in Spanish, but the, the vocabulary was a little in, childlike, you know, cause I, I haven't like learned the slang of the times, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that was part of the humor on stage. They were like, oh, I like how you said that. And they're like, but we say it like this, but keep that, keep that. It's funny. Just in a, and so I started to finally accept that my imperfect Spanish uh, was part of the show. And did, did you find yourself being received well when you started doing that? Yes, I started. It was, it's funny because now it's so big everywhere. So like there were certain things that, I remember one time I did Spanish stand up in Costa Rica and this guy came up to me and he was like, you talk about yourself a lot. And I'm like, that's what we do. (laughs) But they didn't do that yet out there. They were like, they were talking about, I don't know, subways like, or, or star Wars. Like it sounds like mean, but they weren't as evolved in stand up. Like we were already been, we've been doing it for years. And, and I remember I went, when, when I was in Costa Rica, some of the comics there had been doing it three years and they were comedy teachers. And I'm like, yeah. oh, because you're like the, the first class, like you're the very first group of comedians. Yeah. Like who else is going to teach comedy? But the first, like the pioneers of comedy in Costa Rica, you know? So, so how, how, how did stand up? I mean, do you, I don't know how deep you are in, into the history there, but like how... How does stand-up reach there? Is it, is it a matter of, say, for uh, sitcoms, you know, like, well, we, we saw what we got from America or whatever, or what, did it develop no, on its I own? No, I think it was the internet. I mean, before even Instagram and Reels and all that, they've had, like, YouTube and, you know, because at first, any like anything, it's, it's like the first, they probably just saw, I don't know, Louis C.K. and Jerry Seinfeld. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like... Mm-hmm. Whoever did it before Instagram was who they saw. And then right. someone was probably like, I want to start that thing. And, but I mean, they, when I was a kid, they had like a version of, of stand up. Like they had this one guy, when I was a kid, I remember this old man from Spain. He was super famous, mm-hmm. but he told like kind of like hacky jokes. But, you know, that's probably where it started for America a million years ago, too. Sure, some guy sure. was like, you know, when a guy walks into a bar, you know, and it was that version, but that guy was super famous. And then, you know, over time we all kind of blended in with the internet and Instagram and everything. And now it's like, like you can go in. I went to Spain, but I, I wanted to, you know, check out Berlin and Vienna and, and they all have like booming stand up places. Like everyone's doing stand up. It's almost like insane how much stand up there is. What was it? So when, when you're, when you're touring, are, are you consciously setting out to do a certain portion in English, a certain portion in Spanish? When I'm asked to, like when I, <clears throat> when I went to Berlin and Austria, they were like, will you do a show in Spanish? And I was like, you have a Spanish community? And they were like, yes, we have a really big 
Spanish community. Those Spanish shows were canceled because they need they need Spanish famous Spanish people. It's kind of like like you know Brian Grossi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he does a lot. He's a very hard worker. I don't follow his English as much because I don't work with him as much. But in Spanish, like we've put a lot of shows together in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. And it's very hard to get people in the bar to see us because we're not known Spanish comics. Why? But then so-and-so from Mexico, who's huge, will come to Broadway Comedy Club, sell out their room. In fact, they're they're pushing people away. It's packed. Uh-huh. And it's like that because they're already big. So Why? it's kind Why? of like, you know, unless you're a huge name in Spanish comedy, you're like, we, we would flyer in like... I don't know where Spanish Harlem and be mm. like, please come to our show <laughs> and get like 10 people, you know? Right. But right. then like, boom, they'll be like, can you open for so-and-so and Broadway's like, there's a line outside, like out the door. So That's crazy. It's crazy. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I, I became aware of the shows you were doing with, with Brian at some point that it never remotely occurred to me that he would doing stand up in Spanish just did not. Yeah. You know, I, I'd seen him, uh, you know, enough over the years, uh, like, you know, and I enjoyed him, but I never thought, hey, I bet that guy does stand up in, in Spanish, you know? Uh, yeah. How, how, did you, did, I mean, how did you find out? That, did he approach you or, or? No, I think, I think we did a show at uh, The Pit once uh-huh. a million years ago and uh, he was like, do you want to do a Spanish show? Or maybe we did someone else. I think we did someone else's Spanish show. And yeah, when you look at Brian, you're not like, he's fluent. And then <laughs> right, he talks right. and you're like, oh my God, like you're actually really good. You know, you speak better than I do sometimes. Like his, <laughs> his grammar and his vocabulary is just, it's very good. So then over yeah. time, you know, it was like me, Santi, Espinosa, Shano, R- Rivera. There's a bunch, there's a ton of comics here who, who speak very good Spanish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and now it's part of, we've done it in the... Um, New York Comedy Festival. I'm going to this uh, big Spanish Latino um, festival in Toronto in two months. Like, there's a lot of Spanish stand up everywhere. So, uh, I want to circle back to the, the specials you have coming out now. This is, uh, this is really interesting. Is the idea to release them simultaneously, English and Spanish? Or? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Hopefully, and and hopefully... where were they? You said the one was recorded in Spain? One was in Barcelona and one was here at the Comedy Cellar. Oh, perfect. So, yeah, but I don't know where they're going out. Right now we're just editing mm-hmm. and, I mean, most likely YouTube. There's no there's no, there's no, no chance of even pitching it because of the strike. Uh, yeah, of course. So of right course. now it's probably going to be... I'd rather just get them out than, like, wait till the strike's over because apparently it's just going to be more of a mess because there's probably backup. Back- right, right. And, you know, and there's going to be a whole scrambling of deals that were in place before the strike. Exactly. And now are they going to be rescued or are they put right. aside? I had to, you know, also depend on who's standing when the dust clears, I guess, too. Exactly. Yeah. So just my goal was just to get them out and then just start working on new stuff because that there's a lot that I didn't put in the hour that I have. So I want to take that material and start working on that again. Are, are, are the two specials, uh, are they completely different uh, no. topic and theme-wise? No, or? they're about... I wanted to make them the same, but it's it's kind of impossible. They're probably like 60, I'd say 60%, 65% of the English one is in the Spanish one. 
Okay. And then the rest is either stuff that didn't translate, like that I put in the English one, and I'm like, they're never going to get this. This is not <laughs> culturally. It doesn't make sense. And then I, I put some some of the stuff that I really liked from late night sets. Mm-hmm. I didn't put any late night sets in my English one because that's already been out. Right, and it's still out. But it's out, never yeah. been done in Spanish. So I, I picked I picked some stuff that I liked, and I put it in the Spanish one. And then in the Spanish one, I put some stuff about being Spanish, you know, because I... I did this I did this special in the same bar. Coincidentally, I didn't mean to do this in the same bar where my parents met. Oh no. So it's like like the one of the biggest plazas cuz they have a lot of like courtyard plazas in in Spain. Mm. Is Plaza Real. Plaza Real is um it's like royal. It's not like real, but it's like royal plaza and there's a there's a bar there that's been around. I mean, my parents met in the 60s. Uh-huh. Um, and that bar is called Jamboree. And so when I asked around, like, where should I do my taping? Coincidentally, you know, the guys that were going to record it that I'd met through other stuff, they were like, we should do it at the Jamboree. And I was like, holy shit, (laughs) that's where my parents met. But now the owner broke into a jam. He's got three rooms next, next to each other. It's like Mm -hmm. Jamboree. I don't know what happened to Jamboree two, but Jamboree (laughs) three, Jamboree 3 is where I recorded my special because it's smaller. It's just a better venue for for comedy. Mm-hmm, if I was mm-hmm. like well known in Spain, I might do the original Jamboree, but uh, but it's all the same owner and you can walk to through them and stuff. So it was just kind of cool. I'd been there before. Like I think I walked in there. My sister and I walked in there like 10 years ago to just check out like did they meet in this corner? Or <laughs> where where did he ask her out, you know? But like, but the Jamboree number three is, um, it was just kind of cool to just be there. Sure. Yeah. Sure. It, so. Were your parents in the audience for that? Hell no. <laughs> no. They don't come to any of my shows. Are you kidding? No. I, they'll, they'll watch late nights or Letterman or whatever. Uh. And no, we had, I mean, I can't even begin to explain to you how difficult it was to get them to understand that this was my career choice for life. Like, it was just picture traditional Catholic Republican parents. It's like telling them you're going to be a stripper. It's just not. I, a good, I understand. It's but, not a good idea. But here's no. the thing. Yeah. I understand that you know, you know, from you, you were pre-med and where you come from or whatever. Yeah. But now you've been on national TV. You've done yeah, all but these even things. That, like I, I still have a bad taste, and it's not not resentment, but like when I started doing military tours, my dad's eyes lit up because he was in the Navy for so long, and he's like, oh, you know. But even then, I'm like, they don't understand the jokes I say at the dining room, t- at, the t- at the table. <laughs> like, why am I going to make them suffer? And then it, it throws me off. You know, I don't want them sure. there, honestly. Like, and they're they're old and arthritic. They would be miserable. They'd okay. be like, where's okay. the bathroom? And I'm like, this is my biggest joke. And you just, I saw you get up to use the bathroom. I'd be so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no, I totally understand the thing about, I, you know, um, with all the plays I did during my five decades in college, I b- usually did not want my parents in the places like, you know, kind of have to let them come in once in a blue moon to, you know, let and them feel, asked. you know. Yeah, they've asked. One time, I think about late, maybe 10 years ago, they're like, well, we see you're in Chicago and we've always wanted to go. And I was oh, like, nice. no, <laughs> you're not. Go to Chicago on your own. You're not coming to my show. Sure, you know, sure. like, oh, you can come when I'm there, but you're not coming into the club. Like you can walk around and go to dinner or something. 
I, no, the, the yeah. only reason I ask was, was thinking about since you did it at a place where they met, they do know that that's where you taped that, yes? Oh, yeah, no, no. I tell them okay. everything, but they're, they're not... I mean, my dad, my dad is not who he used to be anymore. Like he, m- mentally, like he, yeah. I, he, I don't know if it's officially dementia, but he would be so confused. Got and it. my, my mother is just slowed down. I mean, they're, they're fine. They, they do their own thing, but, but it's easier to just talk to them about it. But they did come when I first started doing comedy, I'd reached a point where I was like, okay, I think they understand now mm. what I do. We've had a lot of fights and I know they're only here to help me and they want what's best for me. And they, they're probably thinking, God, I paid so much money for college. And now she's telling jokes in a freaking bathroom. Like, <laughs> so, but one day I was like, you know what? Let me just, I'm going to, I'm going to take them. I'm going to bring them. Cause they'd visit me in New York and huge mistake. Like I, we went to remember that Boston comedy club. Yeah. Yeah, it was near like Sullivan Street or something. So um, everything you shouldn't do. This show was late, like eleven. It 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 started probably at eleven forty-five. Well, it, no that one seemed like a good choice right there. No, it was it was uh, mostly empty. Every I was at the end, so every comic before me was a dude who talked about dick and stuff like. It's like, don't, don't bring them until you're good. You know, Yeah. it was the worst idea I'd, I'd ever had. And I saw them in the corner, just, they couldn't even speak. They weren't crying or anything, but they were just <laughs> well, <that's> like, good. <laughs> they were like, could not. And I was like in that, that night I was like, okay, this was the worst mistake I've ever made. Uh, but the silver lining is they will never do this again. Like I knew from <laughs> that, I said, I don't care if. I don't, you know, even when I did Letterman, I was like, well, I was like, have fun watching it on television. Right, right, right. I will never experience that kind of awkwardness ever again. That said, do they at least have an appreciation for what you've achieved by now? I mean, they don't say like, maybe once they've said we're proud of you, but I think it's not in their, I don't think it's in their in their genes to like my aunt will say that cause, but my aunt didn't experience the horrors of open mic life, you know, or my sister's always said it like my sister would be the one I would cry to when my parents were like, you're ruining your life. You're never going to have money, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. I would just, she was like, you know, but it was a, it was a generational thing. Like, sure. It sure. wasn't that they, they want what's best for you, but they didn't understand it, you know, like, yeah, they they tr- they they're so up Fox News's ass. They could never understand anything about di- like di- di- diverse careers, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. very much. They there was when they were coming up. There was a path you were going to take if you were going to be something, and then there was everything else. Right. Kind of, yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. my dad was in the Navy forever, and then when he retired, he had a job forever, the same job. And my mom was a nurse her whole life, so okay. you don't go around like you know trying artsy fartsy things <laughs> and like it's just not a thing. Yeah. yeah. And well, you know, it it, it seems like a, <laughs> the rest of us would say you you've done a good job. Thank uh, you. So so you've got the specials coming out where, at a date to be determined. We're going to finish that out, and we'll see where that happens. Um, anything uh, next on Untap uh, that you either have in the theoretical works once the, the strike is done, or, or or things that you'd at least like to? I mean, I've I've done stuff, the projects that I've never finished. You know, like I wrote uh, a ton of stuff I could use for a book. Like I think over COVID, it was like 
like 300 pages, but I've never read it. Like mm. I should read it and, and use it and write a book, like make, make it into something, you know? Uh, but uh, I, I haven't gotten around to that. And, uh, and travel's always big for me. Like I, I'm going to Alaska next week for comedy, but I'm, st- I always like to stay whenever it's something like I've, I'm like, who knows when I'll ever come back. Then I just oh, stay. actually, we, we should talk. I have a very yeah. good friend who uh, leads tours there or whatever. She, she's oh, really? Now, like maybe, I mean, even if you couldn't hook up with her for yeah. a tour, she might oh, be I able to tell to you where to go. Well, my friend from co- my roommate from college is meeting me out there. Oh, okay, okay. So I'm staying for like a week, like eight days. The show, it's only two shows. I mean, two nights of shows. So you got time to enjoy. So I have like six nights to just do whatever. So we're going to try and do like the um, Aurora Borealis, the... What is that? The Northern Lights? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then I we already have a, a glacier tour. Like, I wanted to see whales. Like, you know those Instagram videos where mm-hmm. they're on a boat and this tail just comes up? Like, they scare the crap out of me, but I'm like, <laughs> I would do that. Like, that I would do. It's but it's cool. not whale season, apparently. It ends in August, but... Whatever, I'll go again, I guess. All right. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, just out of curiosity, you know, you started, it, have you ever, uh, has your past taken you into any more acting or would, do you have any aspirations oh, for yeah. doing any acting? I mean, my boyfriend writes uh, scripts for mostly animation, but has done television. So we're, we're constantly trying to finish. We, we've started like a million scripts. And we just don't finish them. Something always comes up. So, or we have a new idea. So ideally we want to finish a script to put ourselves in it. Or even if we're the freaking, I don't know, you know, janitor or clerk in the movie, like just mostly right, write right. it, finish it. And, you know, well, this, this yeah. is cool. Let, let, let's get a proper resolution to the strike and then, uh, you know, uh, go on and thrive from there. If people want to, uh, you know, obviously let us know when the when the specials are officially going to drop and we'll, sure. we'll put the word out. But in the meantime, people want to find you live if they want to stay up on everything Carmen Lynch. Uh, where can people track you down? All of my socials are the same. It's at Carmen Comedian. There is an in Spanish Instagram because I have a Spanish podcast that I do with um, this pretty big uh, Venezuelan uh, radio star. So uh, we have a, um, a podcast and a lot of it is I post on my Spanish Instagram, which is at Carmen en Español, en Español, at Carmen en Español. But all my, my reels, everything is at Carmen Comedian. And then all my gigs are on my website at CarmenLynch.com. All right. Well, that, that, that covers it. We will be uh, nudging people to go check these things out. And and I have to say, I haven't seen you in for fucking ever. And it, it's really good to see you again. Oh, it's great to be time. here. Thank you so much. Oh, and I have also have a podcast on Sirius. I can't believe I forgot to post that. It's called The Human Centipod. Oh, I like and, that. And um, my boyfriend and I uh, started it during COVID. And we were like stuck together. So we just thought the name was kind of fun. But it's on like serious. And, and, and can you can you mention his name? John Reynolds. John Reynolds and I on the Human Centipod on Sirius XM on the channel is called She's So Funny. Excellent. I think Excellent. it's channel one seventy one or something. I can't remember. Yeah. Well, now that you've you, you've put the word out here, that's going to expand your audience by at least two or three people. So <laughs> awesome. Uh, good career move. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for being had. <laughs> Enjoyed catching up with you. Take care. Thank you.
that was Carmen Lynch. She's really funny person, really nice person, and uh, interesting story, I think. So she has comedy specials coming out in both English and in Spanish. Follow her on the socials, go to her website, keep an eye out for that. As of the time of this recording, we're not sure exactly when those are going to be dropping, but they should be dropping soon. Keep an eye out for it. It'll be a good time. I want to thank you all for hanging out with us, for listening, for spending time with Carmen, too. The people who make this happen are producer, the grand poobah, and chief sound engineer, the one, the only, Gary Hardcastle. Additional sound engineering provided by Miles Mix Appeal Blue Spruce. Our PAs are Stanley Resio and Jeremy Pueo. The theme music and end music are composed and performed by King of the Hill, Courtney Hill. And, as we always like to leave you with some music, today we're going back to uh, another song from Carla Lynn Hall's album. The album is called Supernova. Uh, it's been out there for a long time. You can find it. It's great album, great music, and the song is pulling me back. So, enjoy... Carla Lynn Hall. My name is Eric Vetter. I want to thank you all for listening to the No Name NYC podcast. See you next time. I love you all.